Thank you very much. Let's open the Word of God together again to Luke chapter 15, if you would. We've been looking at the story of the prodigal son, little by little. And uh, we come now to the last part of this story, really the second half of the prodigal son. It's the half that nobody ever likes to talk about. The first half of the story of the prodigal son is my favorite parable in all the scripture. It speaks about the unspeakable, never-ending, never-dying love of the father for the lost sheep. It's an amazing story. In fact, we've been looking, we were looking for many weeks at how the younger son took his father's inheritance and hit the road for the far country, and he wasted his father's substance on riotous living, living like a wild man with no thought of his father, with only living to please himself. We talked about how a famine came, and by the way, look here, a famine always comes in the far country. Anytime you leave God, are you listening? Every time you leave God, you can expect to meet a famine. When all the world's resources, all that you thought was so good, is dried up and you're left with nothing, nothing but a hungering soul. And then we remember how he came to himself and arose and went home to the Father. And you remember how he was met by the Father? His Father ran to him, fell on his neck like we heard a moment ago with Jacob's testimony. The Father ran and lavished his love upon this son. And we would have expected the Father to give his son a hard time after running away from home, taking his father's inheritance and wasting it on wild living. But instead the father greeted him with a hug, with a kiss, gave him a robe, his robe, his ring, shoes on his feet, and he threw a feast for him. And everybody was excited that the son was home. Everyone but one person. His own brother. We'll pick up the story where we usually never read Luke 15, verse number 25. If you remember, verse 23, Bring hither the fatted calf, kill it, let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. And that's usually where we stop reading because the rest of it isn't so enjoyable to read. Now, Verse 25, now his elder son was in the field. I remind you, the first verse of the parable says a certain man had two sons. But the first half talks about only one son. Now we come to the second son. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came, he drew nigh to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. And he would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. 
And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And that's the end of the parable. I want to take a couple of weeks to consider the older brother, the older son. This is a portion of scripture that I have not spent much time. I think maybe I've preached twice out of this part of the parable, twice and not that I have a very lengthy preaching ministry, but in the 13 years I've been here, I've only preached on this part of the parable twice. The prodigal has come home, but not everybody is so happy about it. Somebody once said that the Word of God is like a photo album. Do you remember those things? Maybe today we're not so used to them, but growing up we used to have a big fat photo album on the coffee table. And you could open it up and see different portraits, pictures of the family members. You can see there, there was my brother when he was two years old. And there I was when I was a baby. All the most embarrassing photographs of what you were like growing up. The Bible's a lot like a photo album. In this, script, in this book, you have portraits, pictures of the family of God. And oftentimes when you read different stories about different men and different women, you oftentimes you recognize somebody in your own congregation, don't you? You ever read a portion of scripture and say, huh, that's just like such a one. Or maybe you've read a portion and you said, ooh, that looks a bit like me. The one difference about this photo album is this photo album tells the truth. I don't know about you, but I used to love getting school, school photos. I don't know if you do that in this country, but growing up, we used to have class photos. And you get a photograph with your whole class and you'd get an individual photograph but they always had a way of making you look, look better than you really did in real life. A little bit of touching up here and smoothing out the blemishes. and You always seemed to look much better. That's why everybody liked to buy extra copies because it wasn't a reality. You wanted to buy as many copies as you could and pass them out because you knew that was not what you really looked like. And you'd rather have some, somebody have a picture of what looked better than what was the real thing. But the scripture is not like that. The Bible doesn't smooth out the blemishes. The scriptures do not paint a picture that is better than what it really is. The scriptures are clear and accurate. No filters, no edits. And that's what we find this evening as we look at this text, as we consider the elder brother. I think if you travel to any congregation in the world, to any church in the world, you'll find an elder brother or two in the midst. And probably, if you've been saved for any length of time, you might even see yourself in that portrait, in this portrait of the elder brother. I want to think about really one thought this evening, considering this older brother. And next week, Lord willing, we'll think about something else. But one thought this evening as we consider this brother. I want you to think about this. I believe this is possible. I believe it is possible... For you to experience sonship without brotherhood. Let me say that again. I think it is possible, according to this parable, that you can enjoy the privilege of being a child of God and yet not ever enjoy the privilege of being a brother or sister. 
I believe this was the man's problem, one of his problems. He delighted and gloried in being his father's son. In fact, verse 31, the father even calls him son. So there's no disputing that this older brother was a son. The father acknowledged that he was actually a part of the family. And actually, he was a pretty good son. I hate to admit it, but he was. Look at verse 29. He answering and said to his father, Lo, these many years I do serve thee. Here is a son who had faithfully for many years served the father. Year after year, he was out in the fields laboring for the father, doing his father's work. I must be about my father's business. He lived very carefully, very circumspectly. He upheld the word and the law of the father. He did not ever bring shame to the father's name. He wasn't like his other brother. His other brother left home, skipped out of town, taking his father's money with him, bringing shame to his father's name, lived such a wicked and lewd life that he brought shame to the father's name. But this brother was not like that. He was a hard worker. He was industrious. In fact, he probably worked in such a way that he was worthy to bear his father's name. And his father was more than happy probably to pass on his inheritance and his estate to that son because here's a son who worked and lived a pretty good life. He was a good son, but a very poor brother. It's possible in some regards, to be a good son, but yet a poor brother. It's possible to acknowledge you've been born again and to love God and to delight in the privileges of being His child and yet in the same breath be a very, very bad brother or sister. I wonder tonight, is that you? Are you happy to receive forgiveness from God? Are you happy to delight in the privileges of being called the rich inheritances of being a child of God? Is that you? Are you one who delights in being called a child of God and, and glorying in the privileges that you find in His Word, but yet you really, you really don't care about being with other people? You, don't, you really couldn't be bothered if you went to church with all those other strange hypocrites. Is that you? Now this man was not a heretic. He was not a liberal. He wasn't licentious in the way that he lived. No, this was a very orthodox son, you could say. Straight down the line. But there is a kind of orthodoxy, let's be honest, that is just as ugly as heresy. There is a kind of orthodoxy that only considers his own interests and is totally indifferent to the world around him, totally indifferent to the rest of his father's house. There have been many Christians who hold fast their profession of faith without wavering, who boast of their own clear and definite religious experience. They know that they belong to God. They know that they've been born again. They know they've passed from death unto life, and they know that they are a child of God. But year after year, month after month, week after week, they live a life that is indifferent to the needs of the great world around them. 
They live for themselves. They only think about themselves. I wonder tonight, is that you? What's the big idea? You might say, at least he's saved, right? At least he's been born again. Surely that's all that really matters. But one of the implications, think about this for a moment. One of the implications of such thinking is that he never once thought about the surplus of his father's house. Think about this. He never one time was bothered that there is extra at the father's house. What do you mean? Well, remember what, remember what the prodigal son said in verse 17? You remember what the wild son said when he was all off in a far country, living like a devil? Do you remember what he said when he woke up one day? He said, hold on a moment. How many hired servants of my father have, look at the next two words, bread enough. What a word. Enough. What a word. That's a rule of the family of God. That's a rule of the house of God that there's always enough in the Father's house. When the family sits down to eat, there's always enough. That's a law of nature in the Father's house. That's a rule of provision of grace in the family of God. There's always enough grace with God. Enough forgiveness with God. Enough peace with God. Enough joy, enough strength. Have you, look here, Christian, has there ever been a day when you woke up when there wasn't enough grace? No. Did you ever wake up and there wasn't enough mercy? Of course not. There's always enough. Wherever Jesus is, there's enough. But do you know that's only half of it? Because the man didn't just say they have bread enough, but the prodigal said, hold on a moment, how many hired servants does my father have who have bread enough and to spare? Look, enough is only half of it. Because in the kingdom of God, there is more than enough. In the Father's house, there is extra. What about that verse? Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Meaning, as much as you've sinned, the grace of God is so much more. In fact, there's too much, you could say. Amazing. Now, some folks' theology doesn't like much more. Some people aren't comfortable with enough and to spare. Some people would rather that there be just enough. But you cannot deny in the Word of God that there is enough and to spare. Over and over again, I remember what Jesus says in that wonderful portion, speaking about how Satan has come to kill to steal and to destroy. But if you remember, Jesus Christ has come. He said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it what? More abundantly. Abundant. That's more than enough. He goes on, Ephesians 1, verse 6 and 8, this great chapter of doctrine. He says this, To the praise and the glory of His grace, wherewith He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. God is rich. Did you know that? God doesn't have just barely enough grace to save you. God's not some old miser in the sky who says, I'll give you that little bit of just enough grace to squeeze you in. No, no, we've been saved according to the riches of His grace. He goes on. 
wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. In the next chapter of Ephesians, verse number 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's what you were like. But God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy for his great love, his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. He's rich. God is not counting his pennies upstairs. God's not measuring out very carefully a little bit of grace here and a little bit. He's wealthy. An abundance of grace that we can never get to the end of it. He's rich. Abundant. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 13. How could we forget this? Who was before? Paul speaking about himself. I was before a blasphemer. Uh, Jacob spoke about it a moment ago. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Watch this. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Now, aren't you glad you didn't just get a sliver of grace? Aren't you glad that the grace of our Lord is exceeding abundant, the scriptures say? Look at that again. But the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And this is a faithful saying. Jake quoted this verse a moment ago. And worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. What an amazing truth. Now this brother, this older brother, was ecstatic that there was an abundance of grace for him. He was over the moon that God was rich. The Father was rich in mercy for him. He could do a somersault. He was so happy that his Father had enough grace and enough mercy for him. Boy, he could jump over the moon with such joy that his Father had such excess. But he never one time thought that maybe, maybe the excess, maybe the abundance was so that it might be shown towards someone else. He would feast day after day, week after week at the father's table. And never one time, never one time thought of the other brother. He would sit down every day at the father's house and table and feast on the delights of God's word and feast on the delights in the presence of God and soak it all in like a sponge. And he would revel at such rich truths. But never one time thought about someone else. That's the problem with the older brother. There's so much here, he thought. I wonder why my father has provided so much food. Look, I couldn't possibly eat all of this. I wonder, my father's over to doing it now with all this extra. He never one time thought about the empty chair that sat at the other side of the table. He was too busy thinking about his place and his belly. He never one time thought, who should be here? I wonder, do you ever think about the meaning of 
the wide arms of the cross. Do you ever think about the abundance of grace that has been offered through our Savior? Have you ever thought about the meaning of the gospel of abounding grace? Have you ever thought about the meaning of the gospel of abundant mercy or of divine power? Have you ever thought that the gospel is enough to take the worst sinner from the lowest depths of the horrible pit and lift them to the heights of the glory of God? Have you ever thought, what's it all for? Just me? Is that what you think? It's all just for you? Now, there's a place for acknowledging that Christ has done it for me. But we mustn't stop there. Because there's enough and to spare. Enough, there's enough of Christ, enough of grace, enough of mercy to satisfy every hungry heart in the city of Oxford. There's enough of God, of his mercy, of his grace, and of his love to satisfy every hungry heart in the world. This is not about if there's enough or not. There is enough. And even though there's enough, how often do we sit back after we've eaten our spiritual meal and fold our arms and wipe our mouths and say, my, that's enough, as we pat our bellies. Oh, that was a good feast. I'm full up. I've had enough. I wonder this evening, What are you doing for the lost? Do you ever think about the empty chair next to you? Do you ever think that there should be somebody else here? Here was a man who was not ever distressed by the empty seat at the father's table. In fact, he was actually kind of happy that that younger brother was away. More of the attention, more of the honor could be bestowed upon him. Does it bother you to see an empty chair in this tent tonight? I see a lot of empty chairs. Does it bother you? Did you walk in and think, well, hold on a moment. There could be and should be more people here. I believe it bothers God. What do you mean? Well, the previous chapter tells us that. Luke chapter 14, the parable of the Great Supper. You remember the Bible says in verse 23, The Lord said to his servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. It's the desire of God that his house would be full. And I don't just mean the church house, but I mean his heavenly home. God is more interested in saving souls than you and I are. I remember reading of D.L. Moody when he was... First converted, he was attending a church in Chicago. This was long before he started preaching. And in those days, you had to rent a pew. So your family, a certain family would rent a pew, and if there was enough space, what you would do is you would perhaps share the rental price with an individual or somebody else. D.L. Moody went and he paid for the rental of one entire pew, although he was one man, had no family, just by himself. And he got to work immediately, rented the pew, and got to work bringing people off the streets to fill up that pew every Sunday. And when he got enough money, he rented a second pew. And every Sunday, the pastor of Moody's church could count on two pews being full. Every Sunday, he could count on two entire pews being filled full to the neck. From one end to the other. Because he knew that there was a man who was so hungry for souls that he'd bring them in. We could do with a few more D.L. Moody's, couldn't we? 
We could do with some people who were so burdened for the loss that you would get on your knees and pray for one entire row in this tent and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to fill that row. Not for the sake of getting numbers in, but for the sake of getting souls to Christ. I wonder, do you have that burden yourself? Yeah, well, yes, we're living in different days now, you might say. It's just not like that anymore in this country, you know, and it's not like that anymore in the world. The allurement of sin and the enticement of modern technology has made it almost impossible. People don't want church anymore. Too many distractions today. That's why people don't come to church. That's a lie. That's a lie from hell. The cause of empty seats tonight is not because that the world is darker than ever. The cause of empty seats tonight in the house of God is because the spirit of the elder brother is still present. That's why. That we can be content to come and feast week after week and never think that there's a world of souls dying out there. That we can come and enjoy the Father's house and and, and not be bothered that some of our brethren who used to sit here have wandered back out into the far country. This is one of the problems. I believe one of the problems of the elder son is just that. He never thought about the surplus of the father's house. He was happy to receive for himself. But didn't think about others who should be there. I don't know about you tonight. I've oftentimes found myself in this position. I think sometimes the longer we are a Christian, the more likely we are to become like the elder brother. The longer we know the Lord, the more likely we are to become settled in our ways because after all, we've served the Father for many years. We're pretty good people, you know. We're not really living two terrible lives and we're not bringing shame to the Father's name, and so therefore we'll just quietly carry on. But are you burdened for the lost? I don't know. Maybe you are the elder brother. The good thing is you don't have to stay that way. The good thing is you, your heart can be touched. You can be changed. And I believe that that's the Lord's desire. I want you to bow your head with me in prayer. We'll ask the Lord to help us tonight. Maybe you're here and you're lost. You are not the elder brother. You are the prodigal. You've never made it home yet. Well, then I want to encourage you that there's enough. Enough of God's grace for you. Enough mercy for you. Enough forgiveness for you. If you'd only come home to the Father's house. And maybe tonight you find yourself looking a little bit more like the older brother than you'd like to confess and admit. If so, would you bow the knee, ask the Lord to forgive you, and take your eyes off of your chair and look upon the chair that's empty. May the Lord put someone on your heart and mind to pray for, to go after. May he burden you to find someone to bring, not just to church, but to the Father. Let's pray. Father, we confess unto thee that many a day and many a week and many a month we have lived very selfishly, enjoying the riches of thy table and never thinking of those who are outside thy house.
outside the kingdom, wandering astray. Oh, change us, Lord. Help us to hear the voice of our Father saying, Go out quickly into highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. Push us forward, Lord. Wash us of these thoughts. And give us a tender heart for thee and for the lost. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.